0: Speak what you have for us to speak, God. I'm believing for great things today, God, in this message, Lord, that you would change hearts and lives in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Timeless Testaments. We're talking about the story of Cain and Abel today, part of our series. And if I had a real title, I would call it Deal With It. We're going to talk about dealing with it. And have uh, when someone comes up to you and says, how are you doing? How many times do we give an honest answer? You know, you go to Walmart and say, hey, how are you doing? How's it doing? How, how you doing? How are you doing? And, you know, a lot of times we just say, good, all right, okay, you know, sure. You know, we're all good. I'm good. You're good. And we could have the worst day we've ever had before, but you're going to tell someone, I'm doing good. Because why? You don't really want to tell someone you're passing in Walmart on the aisle that you're just an emotional wreck and it's not the time or the place, right? Or you may not know that person. You don't have that relationship with them. So let's just be honest. We lie a lot when people ask us. We're confessing our sin this morning, okay? We, We lie a lot when people ask us how we're doing. I'm fine, we say, but, you know, that's not always true. But what would happen if you answered honestly to that person, you begin to share your heart, and, you know, you just, you just, oh, my gosh, you know, my, you know, you know, in the middle of Walmart, you got the cereal box in your hand, you're just weeping, snot's coming out of your nose, and you just pour out your heart, and they just looked at you and said, well, just deal with it. What would you do? I mean, you'd, one, probably slap them, throw the cereal box on their head or, or something, because I just poured my heart out to you, and you just told me to deal with it, because that's not the answer I'm wanting to hear. Uh... We're going to talk about uh, how we deal with our own issues, specifically how, do, how, do, how well we do when we aren't doing well, all right? Follow with me, how, how well we do or how we do well when we really aren't doing well. You know, it's easy to serve God when you're doing well. It's kind of hard to serve God or really hard to serve God sometimes when you're not doing well, right? You know what I'm talking about this morning? It's hard to serve God when you're not feeling well spiritually or mentally. You've had a bad week. It's hard to press in. It's hard to give God your all or your everything or get in that prayer time and just persevere and push through and and have that hope that says it's going to get better. God's good. I hold fast to the promises because there's reality knocking at your door. And maybe there's temptation. Maybe there's sin issues. Maybe there's problems in your marriage, your relationship, your finances. And you don't feel, a lot of times you don't feel like that. And I don't feel good. And so sometimes that affects that I don't do good, all right? And so whether it be a secret sin or maybe it be struggling with depression or pride or jealousy or anger, sometimes the consequences of not dealing with our heart issues can be disastrous. And so the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that God searches the heart and tests the mind. And whether I might try to hide my spiritual health, my emotional health, my mental health, from that person I'm passing in Walmart, even at church, I can put on that face, I can put the tie on, I can smile, and I can go through and I can tell the family, we're not arguing about this in the outside of this car, you better stay right here. As soon as you get out of this car, you better put a smile on your face. I don't want to hear anything about it, you know, till later. How many people had that conversation with your parents growing up, right? Uh, uh, so we can try to hide it all from others, but we cannot hide it from God. And in Genesis chapter 4, God warns Cain that if he will not do well... Or if he will do well, he'll be approved by God, but if he does not do well, sin is waiting to control him. Let's look at this Genesis chapter four, verse one. How are you doing? How are you doing? How we how can we do well when we're not doing well? Now the man, Adam, had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I've gotten a man, child, with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. Okay, remember that. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, "'Why are you angry?' And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Verse 8, and Cain told Abel his brother. Stop right there. (coughs) Adam and Eve, probably after having several daughters or multiple daughters, had their first son, we think, Cain. And she says, I've had this by the help of the Lord. It, it mean, the word Cain means possession, that uh, I have possessed this man child by the Lord. I've got my first guy, right, my first boy. And then we go on and we see Abel comes. And Cain becomes this farmer, and Abel, his younger brother, becomes uh, the shepherd of the family, right? And so they go on, and, they, and Adam and Eve have more kids uh, between them. We know uh, until later on we'll talk about that. But Adam and, uh, Adam and Eve have had these two boys. And the Bible's not about to tell us all the, all the things that were going on at the time, but there's a truth here that the Holy Spirit through Moses wants us to pull out of these two young men, specifically what happens in their relationship with God and with one another. And so the fall has happened, right? And so the fall has happened. Adam and Eve have fallen. God has covered them with uh, the first sacrifice. He's taken their fig leaves off, and he's put a sacrifice Uh, in place of their life, and he said, I'm going to cover you with this leather, right? And so he sends them out of the garden. Well, God, from then on, we we just assume that God, through Adam, has been teaching uh, his people how to come and approach him. And from the very beginning, God has taught men how to worship him. And so Cain and Abel, probably with the help of Adam, have decided to come to God With an offering. We don't know if it was the first offering, but we just know this is just zeroing in on this day. Cain brings it first. He's the oldest. And Abel follows. And God likes Abel's, but he dislikes Cain's. Likely, he probably consumed Abel's by fire, but not Cain's. But here's the question. Why? What was it about Cain's offering that God was displeased in? And what was it about Abel's offering that God liked? Let's look at this for a second. Talking about how are you doing? What, is it, what does it mean to please God? So you've got two brothers. They both come to God. They give of their selves. Cain brings of his produce of the field. Abel brings of his produce of the sheep. They both come to God. One's approved and one's not approved. So the question is why and how in the world do you and I today get the approval of God? What makes God in, uh, accept our worship, accept our life's offering, accept how well we're doing? What is it that He wants from us? And why does it matter how well we do? Why does it matter today how well you're doing physically, how well you're doing spiritually, how well you're doing emotionally, how well you're doing relationally? How, why does it matter? Cain and Abel, they, they are here. They're given this required sacrifice after the fall. Remember, there's this curse of sin. It's by grace alone that God hasn't passed judgment on them. And these sacrificial offerings are allowing them to come back into fellowship with God. They're making this temporary atonement for sin. They're pushing back the wrath of God. And so God's promised seed, when we said in Genesis chapter 3.15, that God was going to send a seed through Jesus Christ and said, this guy's going to redeem the world. Okay, so all this is happening. These guys come. They're giving God some offering. Adam and Eve's told them how to worship God. They're coming. These two boys, one's approved, one's not. They're waiting on the Messiah to come years and years and years from now. We'll know that's Jesus. And so, but God's not happy. You know, just because we come to God, we come to God, we can come to church. We can go to uh, the best choir. We can go to the best Sunday school class. We can give our best offering. We can read our Bibles. We can pray. But are you approved by God? From the very beginning, God has always dictated how you can approach him. You can't come to God how you want to. You can't come to God how you feel like you should. You can't come to God because you think you ought to. You come to God like he says. And so you can't come to God even as you want, and you can't live as you want. We stand condemned. We get this eternal punishment separating us from God. And God has instituted something. He says, I want you to come to me, but there's a right way. And pride is what is telling us today that we can live and we can do as we please, but it's the mercy of God that's holding that wrath back. So look, look at this, look at that verse. So it came about in the course of time. Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, the firstlings, and the Lord had regard for Abel, but for Cain he had no regard. Why? If someone comes to me uh, maybe this week and they. They're, you know, I've done something for them and they're smiling and they they come to me and they oh, Brother Heath, you're so great as a pastor and I love your sermons, blah, blah, blah. But then I heard through the grapevine, which is, you know, we hear those things, right? So-and-so was talking about you the other day and saying how they didn't really like that church and how things you were going. What do you think I'm going to think when that person is just, oh, you're so wonderful, Pastor Heath. And I just love, I'm thinking, yeah, right, buddy. I, I'm not going to listen to a word you say, right? You know what I'm talking about? Do so you ever had that person just smile through those evil teeth at you, just explaining how wonderful and how they like you, but you knew they'd been told so and so about you. They've been talking about you all over town, trashing you. It's kind of the same way with God. Do you think we can come to God and say, "Oh Lord, I love you. Amazing grace, how great, da da da, how great you are," and then? We're talking trash at home. We've been fighting with other people. We've been telling dirty jokes. We've been having secret sin. We've been never reading our Bible, never praying. We're not reaching the loss. We should have given more of our finances than we ought to because God convicted us, but we didn't because we really wanted to go on that trip this week or whatever. And we come to God and we say, God, you're the greatest. You're the first in my life. As the deer pants for the water, I'm coming after you. Right? We're doing the same thing. Ooh, it's quiet. Quiet. What is acceptable? It's not about what Cain was bringing, but about how he brought it. Cain brings an offering of his garden. Abel brings the first of his lambs of his flocks. But was it really about the gift? Yes and no. Cain may have brought good things, but Abel brought his best. Bible says that Abel brought that lamb, but he also not only sacrificed the best lambs, but he sacrificed the best fat of those lambs. So he kind of had an extra part. Cain just says, hey, he brought some of his first fruit, some of, which is a good thing. It's, it's part of what he did. He was a farmer. He brought the first part of his fruit. But it doesn't say he specifically brought his beth, but it was specific in Scripture that says, Abel brought the first of his lambs, but also the best fat he offered to God, which is a part of something we'll see in Leviticus later. So yes and no. Was it really what he bought? Yeah. Abel really went after him in worship. Abel really went after God in sacrifice. But it wasn't just what they gave, but it was how they gave it. We really won't know the answer to this question until years later in Hebrews chapter 4. You can turn there with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Because the author of Hebrews gives us insight to this long scripture. Because the question is, when you give worship to God, how do you do it? Is it above and beyond? Is it not only above and beyond, but is it with the right heart? It's not about the what of your hands, but the how of your heart. You should write that down. It's not about the what of your hands, but the how of your heart. How are you doing? God says, are you coming to me? And he's looking at this worship, and they come, and Cain gives good things, but Abel gives best things. And the author of Hebrews says in 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 4, it says, but it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. And we learned that it was by believing in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, is by believing that God is and that he was a rewarder of those who seek him. So Abel comes to God with this righteous heart. Abel's living the life outside of the time of worship. He comes to God and then he gives his very best. But what we find is that Cain didn't come by faith. Cain comes. He's a selfish person. He's a fleshly person. So when he comes, he's coming because I know I should do this. I know that this is what God expects. I know that I don't want to go to hell, but I really want to live like I want to live too. And so Cain comes and says, this is what I'm supposed to do. And God saw right through it. And he didn't even give above and beyond. He said, this is the minimal thing I'm required to do. You know, sometimes that's how Christianity becomes to a lot of us. This is the minimal I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go to church on Sundays. I'm supposed to... celebrate Christmas with my family. I'm supposed to maybe give when the evangelist comes. I'm supposed to not tell dirty jokes. I'm supposed to maybe not drink or not smoke or not chew. And that's what I'm supposed to do. But my heart really isn't an all or nothing kind of heart. It's not above and beyond kind of heart. And it's really not with faith. It was the faith of Abel that said, God, I know I'm an unrighteous sinner but I'm diligently seeking you by faith. I'm living a righteous life because I know that's what you want and I'm doing it as devotion and worship to you. And then Abel comes and he says, God, I'm so thankful that you're allowing me this life. And so he begins to give everything to God, not just what he had to give, but above and beyond. Are you with me this morning? How's your heart? How's your heart? How are you doing God saw right through Cain that he wasn't faithfully obedient. His heart was not right. He saw through the hypocritical offering, and he looked at the state of his heart. You know, your relationship with God is not about your ability, but it's about your worship. Your relationship with God is not about your ability, it's about your worship. And if there's a problem with your heart, your worship is going to be the first indicator God began to look at the worship and the worship of how these two young men came to God, and it was evident in God's eyes that his heart was not right. Jude 11 talks about the way of Cain, and it kind of eludes, it's this way of good works, it's this self-righteousness, but what we hear in Second Timothy, it's that, righteousness that uh, self-righteousness that denies the power of God. It's religion on the outside, but inside there's no power of God, there's no love, there's no faith, there's no hope, there's no peace, there's no self-control. There's none of these things that really are evident of the fruit of a righteous man, but it looks that way from the outside. And Abel, on the other hand, he sees this need for atonement, and by faith he gives God his very best. There's only one way to come to God today in worship. There's only one man who said he was the way, and he could give you rest for your souls, Jesus Christ. And a lot of us have grown up with this religious mentality of, There's this thing we're supposed to do. There's this worship. There's this Christianity. There's this way I'm supposed to live. But Abel and Cain, both knowing how they should live and both knowing how they should worship, still Cain failed the test of his heart. And God says to, to us today as Christians, I am the way you come to me, Jesus. I am the way you worship me, but I'm also the way of truth and life. I'm the way, not only do you come to God, but I'm the way that you live for God. And a lot of times, Christians want to come to God and say, this is how I figure out how to please God, but we have no interest in figuring out how to live for God, right? Are you with me this morning? Your relationship with God isn't about your ability, but your worship. It's that life that comes in and says, God, I'm so sorry. I know what I'm going through. I know who I am without you. And that way of Jesus is I'm repenting and I'm living by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for me. I'm giving up my life for him, and that is all of my worship. That's that above and beyond, that extra part that Abel forgot, that was giving everything like like Abel did. How are you doing? Because your worship is probably a good indicator. Cain went to worship, but he wasn't a worshiper. Cain went to worship, but he wasn't a worshiper. And God kind of said something to him like this. Son, you need to deal with it. Again, you know, we think about how we would respond to that person. uh, But Cain and God had this interaction. Let's look at that interaction for a second. He's telling Cain, if you do well, won't you be approved? But if you're not doing well, guess what? Something's coming. It's not going to be good for you. So God says, knows that Cain's coming to worship, but he's not this worshiper. I think it makes me kind of think like this. Like, how many people come to God in this... Man, we come to God sometimes in this poor state. We hope our church attendance will give us this blessing. And then we get mad at God when nothing happens. Right? We come to God saying, God, if I'll do this, you'll do this. Anybody ever did that before with God? God, if you do this... I'll do this. And then when that didn't happen, what happens? Oh, I'm just, I tried that, Pastor. It just didn't work. That religious stuff wasn't for me. You know, that's not how I got, I didn't get blessed. God didn't give me that job. He didn't give me that man or that woman. He didn't give me that thing that I was looking for. So what happens to Cain? He gets mad and he gets sad. He says, Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. You know, you can get angry and sad at the same time. We're complicated people, by the way. Some of us are a little bit more complicated than others once you get to know us, Right? You can be mad and you can be sad at the same time. And Cain was upset. The Bible says his countenance fell. That word countenance is a literal word for face or your demeanor. And it's the word we would use for presence. His presence fell is really what it would say for us. His face, his countenance, his demeanor fell. But he was really mad. He was kind of like, I picture one of those pouty kids like... you know, you, I've got, got a four-year-old, so I know what this is all about. You know, you put your head down, you're mad, you're sad, you stomp your feet. I can't believe, God, you didn't do that for me. God, how could you do that? God, I did everything I was supposed to do, but God, you didn't show up when you said you'd show up. We had those conversations before with God. God, why didn't you bless me? God, I thought I did a good job. God, I brought you this offering. This isn't fair. You know, when we base our religion on outward standards, we are sure to be disillusioned. And when you base your relationship with God on blessings, you're sure to be disappointed. Oh, does God bless you? Oh, absolutely. God wants to bless your socks off. But your relationship with God is not based on whether he blesses you or not. It's based on your faithfulness because he's faithful. So many Christians in the world today are trying to base a relationship with God. God, if you give me my destiny, if you give me my mountaintop experience, God, if you've moved this mountain, God, if you give me that job, or if God, you give me that perfect relationship, God, if you, you know, do this or do that, God, if you give me money, all this stuff fades away. We're going to be sorely, sorely disappointed. We base our relationship with God on blessings. So God comes and says, son, you've got to deal with it. You ever want to tell that negative person, so maybe somebody of your family, hey, just deal with it. I'm tired of listening. Just deal with it. That would be kind of mean and sarcastic. But what's God saying? He, God, in his grace, he's telling Cain, he's saying, "God, I want you to deal with this and get to the root of the problem. God is so gracious. God could just be done with this. And God could have been done with Adam and Eve. He could have been done with Cain and Abel. He said, guys, you just screwed up. I'm done with you. You're not dealing with it. it says He comes to him in this compassionate way, and he really gets on his level, and he says, Cain... Don't you know if you'll do well, I'll bless you. But guess what? If you don't deal with this, if you don't get to the root of the problem, if you don't deal with the status of your heart, something bad is going to happen to you. Sin is going to take over your life. It's going to master you. It's going to own you. So God says, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fall? God knew the answer. God didn't have to ask him a question. God knew. Why did he ask him a question? He wanted Cain to think about it. You know, sometimes... We get mad at our spouses, for those of us who are married, and we don't know why. I've been married for a while, and sometimes I don't know why. You know what I'm saying? Somebody might be mad at me. I'm not going to name names, and I don't know why they're mad at me, right? Come on now. You all with me this morning? All right. Sometimes you have a bad day, and, you know, Beth can come home, and things are nice, and I'll just be kind of snappy, you know? I don't know why. I had a bad day. Just brought it home with me or something, right? nothing she did, and sometimes... She asked me, some, what's your problem? Anybody had that? Somebody asked you that before? What's your problem? Well, nothing. I'm fine. I'm this is what happened. Okay, clearly, you know, sometimes we need to take a pause moment and say, maybe I'm not doing okay. Maybe there is something going on that I'm not even aware of myself. And God kind of has that relationship with Cain. He says, Cain, what's going on? I would have accepted you, but I'm hoping you're going to figure this out. Take an introspective look. Why haven't you been doing well? What's going on in your life? Or is there something you're not dealing with? Because you know, Cain, if you do well, I'm a God who loves to bless you. I'm a God who is for you, who's clothed you with grace. You're living in my grace every day, Cain. Don't you know I love to bless you? And don't you know if you do well... I'll lift you up. But Cain, man, even though God desired the best for him, Cain, despite all the things, he had this faithless and selfish heart. But thank God he seeks out and pursues his lost sheep. But here's the thing about being a lost sheep: you've got to want to be found. And when I want to be found, even that lost sheep, you know what happens when I find that lost, if we find that lost sheep and we bring it back to the flock? If its heart doesn't change, it's going to keep on leaving. And that's what God's getting at with Cain. Cain, we could fix this religious stuff all day. Church member, you can keep trying to come to church all the time. You can wander away for a few weeks. You can come back to church for two. But unless you deal with that heart, you're going to keep on wandering. And God's saying, Cain, I need you've you got to deal with something. Have we dealt with our wandering hearts? And then what does Cain do? says, Cain went and told his brother Abel. You know, sometimes God is telling us to deal with something, and we like to go talk to somebody else. Or, or think of it this way. You have a problem with someone. You and her, me and Miss, let's say me and Miss Georgia have a problem. And then instead of talking to Miss Georgia about it and working it out, you know what I do? I'm just going to go talk to Miss Evelyn. You know how people do that sometimes, right? We go to the next person. Cain's problem really wasn't anything to do with Abel. His brother. His brother did his thing. Cable did his thing. So Cain, God says, Cain, I need you to deal with this. You've got to deal with this, son. You've got to look in your heart. You've got to see why your countenance is falling. You've got to see why you're not doing well. Why is this thing happening in your heart? What does Cain do? He goes and talks to his brother Abel. Sometimes people can be all talk. When we really don't want to deal with a problem in our life, oddly, we can talk to somebody else about the situation. For instance, you can go to that person you're mad at. You can tell them how mad you are at them. And then I can, you can come back to me and I say, Now, great, now what? Well, I said my piece. Well, did you deal with the situation? No, but I got it off my chest. You know, we didn't really deal with it, it just became talk. We can just, I can talk to him, man, honey, man, it was a bad thing. You, know, you don't know what the guys did to me at work the other day, and blah, 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 And we can talk and we can talk and we can talk and never deal with the problem. Over and over again, we just keep mulling it over. We just keep going over that problem. I can go tell somebody else, you know what so-and-so did to me? Did you go talk to so-and-so? No. But man, you should hear what they said. But did, you, did you talk to them? No. Cain goes and talks to his brother Abel. Abel, God told me this, God told me that. But he never dealt with it. Unless you deal with the heart of the matter, it's just going to be talk. And the heart of the matter was Cain was not right with God. You know, today God is calling you and I to live this abundant life. Man, God wants the best for you. He wants your mental capacity to be there. He wants you to live joyfully. He wants you to live spiritually abundant. He wants you to live emotionally abundant, relationally abundant. But He's also calling us to deal with some of these matters of our heart. I think about this. How many marriages could be saved if husbands and wives and families would have have just dealt with the real issue? We can go to all the counseling. We can talk to our in-laws about our Our spouse. We can talk to this person about that person. We can mull it over. We can think about it. We can get mad about it. But unless we're willing to deal with the real issue, am I in a right relationship with God? Am I a humble and faithful worshiper? Have we dealt with it? So number one, how are you doing? Number two, is there something you need to deal with? And number three, are you feeding it or fleeing from it? Are you feeding it or fleeing it. Uh, you know when we continue to. And we mull those memories over. And we ponder those problems. And we review those regrets. You're not fleeing from it. What are you doing? You're feeding it. Man the more I think about that thing. The matter I'm going to get. The more I go over that situation. The matter I'm going to get. And it can be that emotional problem. It can be that sin issue. The more I play around with those things that tempt me. I'm sure to get burned by it. That man who, who might just, uh, guys, that's that little flirtation at work or that little coworker who might, you know, bat those eyes at you or whatever. You play around with that enough, you're sure to get burned by it. You mull those thoughts over in your head about that other person. Man, I wish my spouse was like them. I wish they would cook like that. I wish she looked like that. I wish he looked like that. I mean, I wish my spouse was as good as that person's spouse. You mull that over and over in your head, you're sure to get burned by it. You're sure to feed that thing over and over and over again. You have a problem with lust and you're watching those movies with all that stuff in it, you're sure to continue to lust. You have a problem with anger and cussing and violence, then you watch those violent movies, you're sure to have a continued problem with it. You have a problem with alcohol and getting drunk and you go hang around with people who drink, you're sure to continue to be in that place the rest of your life. If you continue to mull over those things and ponder those problems and review those regrets, and when I wish it would have worked out differently in my life. I really wish that person wouldn't have done that to me. I wish we would have still been in a relationship. I wish, you know, I would have had that job and I wouldn't have quit that thing. You continue to live there, what's going to happen? You're just feeding that attitude. You're feeding that ability, and you're not dealing with it. You're not fleeing from it. You're feeding it. And he tells Cain, he says, Cain, if you do not do well... If you're not doing well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. It's like that, that animal, that lion, ready to pounce is where we get that word from. And if we're not dealing with our sin, you can be sure your sin is going to deal with you. If you're not willing to deal with your sin, be sure your sin is willing to deal with you. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it warns us that sin begins small, it grows, but it leads to death. And once it finds that open door, it's going to take up residency. It's going to look for those thoughts. It's going to find those things that you're just kind of letting it go, letting go. This is a little thing. This is a little thing, and it's going to keep growing. Cain didn't know Ephesians 4, where it says, Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Maybe you've got unresolved conflict in your life. Maybe there's unresolved emotional things going on in your life. Maybe there's situations that something. Man, I'd say this. If you are easily set off by something and it just rubs you the wrong way and you can have one thing happen you're ready to explode, better be ready. You're not dealing with something and sin is crouching at your door. If there is something that is so ready to set you off, either it could be set you off that you would immediately start drinking... And you've been trying to get away from alcohol, if there's something that would one person says one thing and you're about to explode, or one person does one thing, or if that coworker or that person made a move on you and you had received that move, you be sure there's been things in your heart that you have not been dealing with not to play with, but put aside anger and wrath and malice and slander and gossip and all the things of our old life and avoid the trap. The Bible says that Jesus, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that he, God is faithful, that he doesn't give us more temptation than we can stand, but he always shows us a way out. And what God was doing is he was giving Cain that way out. He was giving us this warning. He said, Cain, better deal with this, son, because something is going to own you in a minute if you do not deal with this. It started out with Cain living pridefully, and then when God didn't bless him, he got angry, and then he got depressed, and he kept mulling it over, kept mulling it over, kept pondering it, kept getting angry at God, angry at his brother, yet never looking at himself. And James chapter 4, verse 6 tells us how to master this. How do we master the sin that is waiting for us at the door if we're not doing well? James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So therefore, what? Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. What does that word lift us up mean? Doesn't God tell Cain in that moment? He says, Cain, if you do well, will not your countenance what? Be lifted up. Countenance is the word for presence. And we understand... Uh, this is free. You understand that when God says to Cain... He says, Cain, your face is down. Your presence is down because you're not doing well. You've had pride in your life. It's led you to have a religious attitude and a religious heart. You've been trying to live your own way instead of living my way... Which isn't living by faith. Forget about Abel for a moment. If you would just humble yourself... Get down in the dirt and get uh, hate the sin of your heart and get away from the things of this world, and live for me, don't you know my presence would come in, my face would come in, and lift you up? That while your face may be down, my face, God's presence is for you, it's not against you. I want to bless you, I want to lift you up, I want you to be in my presence. But you've got to get to a place where you're not proud anymore, Get humbled in the grace of God. Submit to God. And yes, turn from the things of the world. Turn from the things of the devil. Resist him. He'll flee from you. But get your eyes on me, and I will lift you up. We need to get flat out broken with God. Turn from our sins. Seek the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to renew our thought life, our hearts. And we get lower and lower and lower and say, God, I need your presence. God, I need your spirit. Lift up my spirit. God, lift up my face, God. The problem was Cain was so focused on his brother. He was so mad at God. He was looking everywhere but himself. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. This guy goes, because he... Didn't know how he was doing. He didn't know why he was doing the way he was doing. He didn't know why he was feeling the way he was feeling. He never looked inside himself. Never had that introspection moment. He never dealt with it. And then he started to uh, feed it instead of flee from it. And then he goes from a tiller to a killer. Genesis chapter 4 verse 8. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. You are accursed. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield strength to you. You'll be a vagrant, which is uh, like a homeless person, a, a, wandering, a wanderer on the earth. Cain refused to deal with it, and watch this. His pride turned to anger, his anger turned to depression, his depression turned to envy, his envy turned to hate, his hate turned to rage, and his rage turned to murder. Tell me sin does not destroy people's lives. And the more you play with it, and the more you mull it over, and the more you refuse to deal with it, and look take a self-examination and say, God, how am I doing? Am I feeding something? Or am I fleeing from something? Numbers 32 says, when you are not obeying the voice of God, be sure your sin will find you out. And it became pride's fall. God says, I asked him another question to which he knew the answer. Cain, where's your brother? You know what God was doing there? God is so gracious. Sometimes we do bad things. Okay, let's say a lot of times we all do bad things, right? But God is so gracious, he continues to pursue us. In the moment he killed his brother, he could have died. God could have just, oh, sorry, the end. He doesn't. God comes to him again. He says, Cain, where's your brother? You know what he was doing? He was giving Cain an opportunity to confess his sin. What kind of a God allows a murderer to confess his sin? A man who hated his brother. What kind of God allows a person who he went to and said, Cain, if you don't deal with this, something bad's going to happen. Yet Cain ignored him. And he gives him another opportunity he says, Cain, where's your brother? At that moment, Cain could have said, Oh my gosh, God, I'm so sorry I didn't deal with it. This rage came over me. And Father, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I loved my brother and I'm, I'm a mess. He says, Well, I don't know. I'm not his babysitter. So then he goes and lies to God, mocks God. And then God begins to punish him. And when God begins to punish him and begins to send him from this place, Cain begins to cry. He says, God, this punishment is more than I can bear. He never repented. He only complained. And God could have killed him. But here's even, let's go even a little further. Even at this stage, God could have said, Cain, I'm done. God again comes to him in another way of mercy And when Cain says to God, he says, God, I'm going to go out from this place. If you send me out, because God takes his purpose away. Cain, you're never going to farm again. Your life's going to be hard. You're going to have no home. You're going to have no purpose. And in fact, I'm sending you away from my presence. You'll never have my presence again. That's all his whole life he ever knew. That's all he ever knew. He lost it all because he never dealt with it and he kept feeding it. He thought everything he was in his control and one day he woke up, he lost it all. And then he got madder and madder at God. You know, sometimes we, deal, we don't deal with sin, and we get further and further away from God. It gets harder and harder and harder to come back to him. Not because of God, because of us. God comes to Cain. Cain, where's your brother? You should confess this. He doesn't. Cain says, God, this is not, I don't deserve this. This is a punishment I can't bear. God, I, you know, I can't do this. They're going to kill me, blah, blah, blah. God puts a mark on Cain. We don't know what that word means. We don't know what mark, it's a sign, a symbol. A lot of theories about it. He puts a mark on him. What was so significant, though, God puts the mark on Cain to save him from being murdered like he murdered his brother. You know what that is? That's grace. That's mercy. Here is God protecting this murderer who would not repent. Why is that? It's the same way that Jesus at the Last Supper, we're going to take communion in a moment. Jesus at the Last Supper, knowing that he was about to be betrayed, gave thanks to God in worship because he was going to give God his very best. He was sure to lay his whole life down and give you and I his very best. And while the blood of Abel's was going to call judgment upon Cain, the blood of Christ was going to call pardon for you and for me. And Christ would give that that last sup. He would take that that cup and that morsel, and the first person you would give it to would be called the blessed person. It would be a person who you would show special favor to. You know who was sitting just to the next of Jesus? Judas. Judas. In the same way that God was calling Cain, Cain, would you confess? Cain, I'm showing you grace. They're not going to kill you. I believe God would allow Cain at any moment would he have confessed his sin to come back to a right relationship with God. Yes, sin is always going to have consequences. Your brother is never going to come back. That's a consequence. You committed adultery. You're divorced. That's a consequence. But God is a gracious God who is always willing to... None would perish, and he'd bring him back. Jesus takes that cup. He gives it to Judas... And Judah still goes and denies Him. Goes and turns Him in. The favor of God is so great. The grace of God is so great that He is com- always imploring us, would you come? Would you come back to me? How are you doing? How is your heart? How is the quality of your worship? And if you don't feel my presence, if you don't sense my blessing, maybe there's something you're not dealing with. Are you doing well? Because be aware if you're not doing well, if you're struggling emotionally, if you're struggling spiritually, if you're struggling relationally, be aware the devil likes to come into your heart and that your marriage is having problems, be aware the devil likes to come in and just take it down. If you're having relational problems, if you're having emotional problems, if you're dealing with uh, things going on in your life, be aware the devil likes to come in and get a hold of those emotions and take you down a spirally uh, pit that you can't, Find your way out of. And so if we are depending on either religious standards just to get us through, we're just trying to go through the motions. We're just trying to go to church, read our Bible, and think we're dealing with it. Let me tell you something. God is saying, hey, don't you know if you just keep me first, if you just have faith in me, don't you know if you give me your very best, you'll be lifted up. That's good news today. I don't care where you've been or what you've done, how far you've gone. God is always calling you back to Himself. He's a gracious God. And maybe you're here today and you feel condemned. Because let me tell you, we all stand condemned apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. And maybe we could have pride in our heart or anger or envy or lust or hatred and the like. But by faith like Abel, we can depend on the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ We can come to God in faith, to a God who sent Jesus, who gave us his very best, and we say, God, I'm going to give you my very best. It's not about my efforts or the how, but it's the condition of my heart. It's not about the work of my hands, but it's about the how of my heart. God, I'm coming with everything I got to give you everything. And, Lord, even if I don't feel good, God, even if I've got sin in my life, I know, Lord, if I just diligently seek you by faith, your word declares that I will be approved by you. Is that not good news? no matter how you're doing, if you would just come to God in faith that Jesus Christ was enough for you, that He's all you need, God will be approving of you. Maybe you've been a wayward son or daughter like Cain and you're wondering if it's too late for you to come back. Let me tell you something. Christ has mastered sin for us. If we repent of sin and resist the devil, we can press into God and God presses into us. My challenge, though, this morning is this. It's a dire warning for the church of today. Do we hate even the littlest sin in our hearts that it draws us to quick repentance? Like Cain, he played around with it long enough that it began to own him. He began to feed it instead of flee from it. And as there are things in our hearts, like, Lord, man, I was a little angry when I shouldn't have been. Or God, there's this thing in my, maybe a little bit of lust, a little bit of pride, a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of envy, a little bit of anger that was unrighteous. And we say, Are we quick to go to God and say, God, I know you will accept me, God, if I come to you and believe Jesus is enough. Jesus' mastered sin for me. Jesus is the one that gave me his very best. Jesus, like Abel, lived a righteous life of faith for me so that now I can apply his sacrifice to my life. That's the good news. You don't get to work your way into heaven. You can't do good enough. You can't be good enough. You can't feel good enough. But what you can do is trust that Jesus Christ, like Abel, did enough for you to be accepted by God. Abel, in his blood, cried for vengeance, but Christ's blood cries for your pardon, Matthew Henry said. Do we hate even the littlest sin in our hearts that it shocks us into immediate repentance? How are you doing? Is there something you need to deal with? Are you feeding it or fleeing it? And are you coming to Jesus? Make the choice today. i want to ask our ushers to come, every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to take a moment, our worship team, to come. We ask the Lord to come and be with us this morning. We're going to take a time of worship and communion. That we could apply the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, just like Abel. Christ becomes the Abel that we needed. Christ becomes that Abel who was innocent of all charges, never did anything wrong. Yet he died for you and for me. He went above and beyond to give God his very best to live a life of faith with a pure heart. And he died anyway. And today, you can apply that blood to your life, and we can come to God, and no matter what is in our heart, whether big or small, God is beckoning us and saying, would you just, how are you doing? How are you doing today? Is there anything that you and God need to work out? How's your worship? That's going to be the first indicator. How's your worship? How's your heart? Father God, we just come before you today and ask your spirit to be in this place. God, I thank you for the good news that is in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for your mercy and your grace that you pardon, You are willing to pardon a Judas. You are willing to pardon a Cain. And you're willing to pardon every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place if we would apply the work of Jesus Christ, who by faith and obedience died on the cross for us. God, there's nothing we've done that you can't deal with. What we're going to do today, and we're going to take a moment to respond to this message through communion.